It's Monday night, and it's a brand new episode of Graphic Policy Radio, the show that mixes comics and politics. This is the show for folks who know real change in comics comes from more than just sending previews. Uh, tonight I'm flying solo, and but not totally rambling. I do have a guest tonight. Uh, joining me is Frank Barbieri, who's really written comics for pretty much every publisher out there. Um, Marvel, Image, Dynamite, Boom, you name it. He's DC, I mean, he's done it. Um, he's got a new series coming out from Image Comics called Violent Love, which is going to be the big thing we're going to talk about, but uh, we're also going to talk about his career in general. Welcome to the show, Frank. How you doing? Thank you so much for having me. So, hey man, that's a wrap. Good night. <laughs> hey there, there we go. Everyone, outro music. Uh, so as I said, the, the question I always like to ask is the first one, um, and I'm sure you get it in like three million interviews that you do because it's pretty, you know, one-on-one question. But I always think of, you know, maybe it's someone's first time, you know, getting introduced to you. So you might as well ask it. Uh, how did you actually get into creating comics? Uh, so I read comics pretty much my whole life, uh, which, uh, again, is, is an entry point. But funny enough, I never really thought I would I would write them despite being like creative and enjoying them. But I... I grew up in the 90s when it was like the super boom of comic book shops. So there was like a local shop like right in like the mall that my family would go to all the time. We were just like a suburban family. So the mall was obviously like our nexus of commerce. And my parents would always leave me and my brother in the comic shop. So very early on, I just got quickly oriented to that world, like understanding like comics come out every week, like they're serialized stories. And, and I feel like comics were just a little more... I mean, despite the movies we have now, but a little more just in the, like, zeitgeist a bit, and especially for, like, young kids. I don't know if it's between, like, Ninja Turtles and, like, Batman cartoon. Like, all of that just, like, really channeled into me being, like, a life lifelong lover of comics and someone who always went to comic book shops, was always buying stuff. And I kind of, like, dipped a bit, I guess, from going to the shop every week when they all started to close. So I guess around the time I entered high school, which was around, like, 98, uh most of the shops I knew had closed, but I met a bunch of kids who actually read comics in high school. And like some of them would drive us out to one shop, a shop called new world manga in Livingston, New Jersey. I, I grew up in New Jersey and uh, the shop's still there. And I, I shopped there for a long time. They're a great, great store. And they really just like, be, I really just uh, would go every week and became friends with the staff and wizard was really strong at that point. So I would always read wizard and see what was cool and coming out. Uh, beyond like Marvel and DC, which I, I had really just been a Marvel reader and, and read occasional like Batman stuff or some of the like seminal Superman stuff. But uh, around that time, uh, I got much more serious into comics because I was going to the shop every week and, and I was obviously becoming an adult and my tastes were changing. So it was around that time I started discovering stuff like like Grant Morrison, I, uh, Robert Kirkman really started up, uh, Mark Millar was putting out a lot of books uh and bendis was huge for me like powers was the first image book i seriously read like i had seen like mm-hmm. like spawn and stuff like during the 90s and like would just like casually check it out or buy a issue there or there but really just probably like draw pages in my notebook and like just uh be kind of geeky about it instead of actually following the story but then like i discovered out more and uh and as I think I said, Brian Vaughn already, but like basically all like in, in Ellis, like all those kind of big, big voices in comics I had missed and in kind of what I consider indie mainstream comics, uh, 
dawned on me at the same time. And I just really was overtaken with the fact that comics were so much better than I gave them credit for. I, I had always been like a fan, but I'd never really just kind of, and it's not being, being diminishing to the medium, but I, I mainly read like mainstream superhero comics and like nineties superhero comics when they weren't particularly groundbreaking. So I really didn't have that scope of like just how amazing stuff could be. And, and that really just changed my love of medium. And I still read uh, plenty of mainstream stuff too and loved it. But I, I feel like it was around that time that uh, the mainstream was starting to get much better too, coming out of that crash at the end of the nineties. They really, yeah. particularly Marvel, like with the ultimate line and things like that. Uh, in a lot of like Paul Jenkins and stuff, like it was just a phenomenal time to be into superheroes and, and see it kind of come back to, to be something bigger than ever. But uh, around this time I was, I was probably in college now and I, I went to school to be an English teacher and I uh, took a lot of just like creative writing courses. It, it, there was no technical major in creative writing at Rutgers, but I had like a focus in my English degree. Uh, and I eventually took a screenwriting class and this was, it was a few things kind of coming together at the same time. So I took a screenwriting class. It was the first time I really gave any thought to story structure. And I was just like, Oh, like I've always liked writing. I've always been a kid who like wrote stories and stuff like that, but I never had much structure to it. Like, and it, it really just learning that basic three act structure, like, which is just like, I, I mean like the kid version of writing, but it's something you need to know to discover like, just how to put things together in a more organic, like, methodological sense. Uh, that really just, like, set off a bunch of just, like, light bulbs in my brain. And I immediately was like, oh, I want to be a screenwriter. This is great. And out of class, I, I really started writing a lot of short stories and, and screenplays and quickly became disenfranchised when I was reading more and more about how most people get started in Hollywood as screenwriters. I'm like, oh, this this sucks. Like, <laughs> it is impossible. You have to know somebody or, like, I think I got like a few places on the phone to try to like pitch them this adventure screenplay I'd written and they were just so diminishing and, and shitty to me. And it was obviously like assistance and I don't begrudge them because that was their job, but it just felt so, so like there were so many gatekeepers and it, it really was not cool to me to be like, Oh, this is like, no wonder like most movies suck. This is how it even works from an entry level point. And I got really jaded on that and, at the same time, I read an article in Wizard about Image Comics and how they were all submissions driven. And I had no clue, weirdly, up to this point. I thought, I mean, I, I don't think I had ever put much thought in how people actually get stuff published, but I always thought you had to be just an employee of Marvel or DC to write comics, which is completely not who it works. But I just, I just never really wrapped my head around it. And once I read that, I was like, oh, wait, I can just like go online and, and hire artists and make comics. Like, that's awesome. And it just, hit me right at the right time where I still want to do something creative and, and I want to write and tell stories, but I didn't have say an outlet of like making films. Uh, and this just seemed like the perfect thing because I, I love the idea that I could just make this myself and look at it and have the product instead of having to wait for permission. So I very irresponsibly started taking extra money out of my college loans and <laughs> used it to commission <laughs> artists to start making comic pitches. And, and that was just basically the start of it. I just, hit the ground running and read as much as I could about what you need to like put together for submissions, like, like who was actually looking. And this was probably around like 
2005, so it was a very different landscape. Like there was there was no Comicsology, there was no Kickstarter, Twitter wasn't even really around. Uh, like so, I I really kind of felt like I was just making stuff in a vacuum, and uh, I I just got started pitching. I ended up finishing a whole book that I did at Arcana, which uh, was a huge learning process for me, and. I ended up graduating from school and uh, and uh, got a job as I got my master's in English ed and I was an English teacher. So I was kind of just like working that grind and now actually making money that I was then using to put towards comics pitches. And around that time I had the, uh, I was still living in Jersey and I moved back home and a light bulb again went off in my head that I live a town over from the Joe Cooper art school. And I was like, Oh wait, like if I want to find people who want to draw comics, like, there's a whole bunch of them at that school. So I, uh, I actually uh, started looking at deviant art groups for Qbert students. And uh, I found a few people, one of whom was Chris Mooneyham and another one was uh, Gary Brown. They were actually in the same class. And uh, I emailed Chris and we became friends and started working on stuff together. And it was great because at the time they were in school and like Chris literally lived like five minutes from where I was living. So it, we really struck up a friendship, would hang out and like make comics. And we worked together for probably about a year and a half before uh, we were trying to do this like sci-fi Western book that just like there was zero interest in. I mean, I always thought it was cool, but and, and the art was great, but just like was not the time. And this was probably around 2011. And uh, I randomly had the idea for five ghosts when I was just sitting around uh at work, like during one of my prep periods, probably just like looking at, at different comic stuff and it just randomly popped in and, and I thought about it, thought about it. I was like, Oh, this is the story I want to do. This is the thing. And immediately called Chris and he doesn't remember this or pretends not to, but I was like, Hey, like I have a really good idea for a book. I will lean more into like the pulp side of things. I think your art is really appropriate for this. Uh, and we had both been, uh, the first Darwin Cook Parker book had come out. We had both, both been so taken with it and kind of, uh, the style that Darwin was working in it. Uh, and, uh, and we were really talking a lot about that. And Chris was like, no, we should just finish the book we're doing. And I was like, ah, I guess you're right. We've done like, we had done like 80 pages of this Western book. And, but we had, uh, but New York comic-con 2011 was coming up. And I, and I think I had just stopped teaching at this point. Uh, I was teaching creative writing full time at a middle school, uh, at this point and, and the program got canceled and, and I was ripped. So I suddenly had a whole bunch of free time, but no money. Uh, <laughs> so I was just like, all right, uh, let's do this, Chris. We're going to self publish the first issue of our Western, but also I want you to do the first five pages of five ghosts and we'll see if we can get any traction on that in the meantime. And uh, Chris did the first five pages of five ghosts, which are the five pages from the book that you will see uh, currently. And, this was New York Comic Con 2011 because I, I was I was no longer teaching. Uh, I was still living in Jersey, like, and just really trying to go for broke, break into comics. And uh, we had the first issue of our Western, which was called Endless West, uh, and I printed up a bunch of copies through a print-on-demand service, and we had them for sale. And I feel like we sold like three of them. Like, no one just gave a damn. It was just so so heartbreaking because you go through and you make something and figure like people are going to like it, but just it caught no spark. Like no one cared, but everyone was stopping and looking at the first five pages of five ghosts, which Chris had in his portfolio. 
And uh, he actually hand-lettered the first five pages so people could read the first five pages. And everyone was talking about that and asking about that. And people were, like, trying to hire Chris. Like, I was like, oh, shit. Like, this is obviously a thing. And after that, we both decided we would uh, we would work on Five Goes. And, and at the time, I also moved to New York City with no job and on unemployment, which was a great idea. But uh, <laughs> I had to get out of the suburbs and kind of move forward. And... Uh, yeah, so we just started working on Five Goes number one, and uh, we we did the Kickstarter later that year. Like we only asked for a little bit of money, about two thousand. I remember we got three thousand, which allowed us to do I guess eight more pages of the book. And and at this point, I I had pitched it everywhere, and, and no one had gotten back to me, so I figured it was rejected everywhere. Uh, but also, oh, I'm sorry to ramble. <laughs> about no, no, no. But, uh, but at the same time, a, another pitch I had put together called The White Suits, which I ended up later doing with Toby Cypress at Dark Horse, got picked up, and, uh, and they uh, agreed to let us do some White Suits shorts and Dark Horse presents, which had just launched at the time. So that was, that was really exciting for me. That was like a bolt of, of lightning that I really needed to remind me, like, oh, maybe like this will work out. I'm not just wasting my time and being an idiot. Uh, so that came out in April of 2012. I guess, and we were, we were quietly, like, plugging away at Five Ghosts, and Chris was working on some other stuff as well. I think at the time he was doing that book, uh, Anathema, which re- with Rachel Deering, because, again, I, I was no longer kind of just working on pitches with him. We were really just doing this long-term project. And uh, fast forward New York Comic Con the next year, and uh, and I was I was doing a bunch of cons. Uh, I would... One of my uh, best friends is Matt Rosenberg, and we would just, like, still go do cons, even though both of us had no real work. But, like, that year, I feel like we were both just, like, doing a lot of tabling at cons, like, meeting a lot of people in comics and a lot of, like, people who've come on to be my, like, dear friends. Like, we just became friends from going to shows, tabling, and meeting the people who are, like, tabling at shows and hanging out. I mean, people like like Ed Brisson is our good, good friend, and we just knew Ed as as someone else who was in the scene making comics. And uh, it was around the time that Ed got comeback published at, at Image, and we were just like, oh, Britain, like, you, you did it. You're our hero. And uh, so it was just, like, a really cool community, and we were really just, like, hustling and, and trying to do things and, and get stuff out. And then fast forward to New York Comic Con 2012, uh, we self-published the first issue of Five Goes in uh, Bleeding Cool, actually, had done a little spotlight piece on it saying like, Oh, this is one of the things you should get at your comic con. And, uh, that's to say at this point I've been doing a lot of cons and just had resigned to like the fact that no one gives a damn about me or my work. He was like, well, that's, that's that. Like what do you expect? You sit at a con and there are people who are comic famous there. And those are the people people want to buy stuff from, but whatever, let's just do this and hang out and see what we can do. And, uh, Thankfully, uh, because of that article, and I mean, I, I think also because Five Coast is cool, but mainly because of that article, as uh, it was a really good pointer to the book, we actually sold out of the books in like two hours. And, and as I said, I had never been able to sell anything at a show before. Just like it would be a miserable experience in terms of trying to sell stuff. But uh, I remember just being so happy that people seemed to like the book, but uh, also so horrified because the way we were printing them, they were still like, we were losing like $3 a copy. And I just like did not have the capital to, to self publish like this. But I just remember sitting down with Chris, like at lunch, like there and being like, okay, well people seem to like this. Like we can go like the total indie route. Like I, 
I, I had learned a lot about how comics retail work through my friends who work at stores and things like that. We can sell directly to stores. Like we can, we can make this work. It's going to suck, but we can do it because people seem to like this. And if we can get five issues out in a year, like we'll really just like do great. So we left that show like feeling good, but I was also horrified that like, Oh, like I don't know if this will work out, but at least people seem to dig the book. And, uh, I actually had started working at Comixology at that point. I was uh, very fortunate to find a day job with them, and it was awesome to kind of be around comics all the time at work and, and still trying to to work that on the side as well. But uh, randomly a month later, I get an email from Eric at Image, Eric Stevenson, saying that someone picked it up a copy of Five Minutes at New York, and he really liked it and was interested in possibly doing it at Image. And that was just that. It was a super lucky, very random thing and it, it took a few months to kind of work it out but then in March of 2013 we put out that issue of Five Ghosts the exact same way it was and, and from there I just thankfully managed to to get some attention from that. People start getting in touch and really just keep freelance rolling. Uh, I guess in November of the next year I went full-time freelance so I guess this is now my third year full-time freelance. I lose track because it's always horrible but, uh, <laughs> but yeah it was really just that one thing and, and really being I think at image at the right time when when books were really doing well no matter who you were because the brand was really taking off and I think because our book was a little outside the norm and, and had a cool style and a cool concept and uh it just thankfully struck a chord with people and for those of you who don't know we ended up doing uh 18 issues of it counting a special over the next uh three years and we're currently on hiatus we have plans to come back but I really don't want to put dates or anything on it until we have stuff locked down. But uh, 2017, we'll be jumping back into Five Ghosts. And, uh, yeah, I've just been very fortunate since then to, to get work other places and really just kind of keep the momentum going. And it's it's always horrifying as a full-time freelancer because if you don't work, you don't pay your rent. So uh, that's always a nice impetus to always be looking for new opportunities. Yeah, I want to say it's 2012 in New York when you and I first met. That's vaguely I think so, familiar. too. Yeah, yeah. Cause, uh, it was around then. Uh, everything, it was some time I mean, around you then. know how it is. Like, doing doing all the same shows, like, you feel like you're just in a never-ending, like, cycle of the same, <laughs> same events. I can't believe that's already been that long. Because uh, I, I well, literally just... Yeah, I'm actually <laughs> going through photos. <laughs> sitting thinking there being about like, I wonder if I should have wonder if I should have photos of you or not, but it doesn't look like it took a whole lot of artist alley that year. Um, it's, it's interesting you brought up that you worked for Comixology. Uh, it seems like a lot of like the big creators now, or a lot of the indie creators now, like worked for Comixology at one point. Um, like this is kind of a almost like an incubator of folks to to get their foot in the business. I feel like if you were in if you're in New York and and this was definitely an earlier phase at Comicsology where they were hiring a lot they uh yeah they specifically hired a lot of people with a comics background and it's really awesome to see a lot of different people coming out of there now who who have been working for a long time who finally either have started publishing stuff or even gone full time freelance and uh it was it was really funny because like it was so <laughs> it's so like shines a spotlight on how much or how little money you make from comics because like 
I stayed there until like five girls issue, like seven was out. And I think I was already doing like the dynamite stuff at solar. And, and to be honest, I probably shouldn't have left when I did to go full-time freelance, but uh, it really is just like so rough, like to, uh, to try to, to live off of a book, even when it's doing well. But uh, yeah, no, it, it is. It's a really great community. A lot of met, a lot of some uh, people who've become my best friends there while I was working there and, Again, everyone there is still great and so supportive. I'm always glad to do uh, two panels with them when I get a chance. I get to see a few at San Diego Comic-Con. And, uh, again, just a company run by people who really care about comic books. And, and I know it can be so divisive with with digital being, like, kind of the new scary frontier, but I, I've always just felt so so good about the whole thing, knowing how much they actually love the medium and, and want to see it grow and move forward. Yeah, it was a, it's always interesting because, I mean, it, it is a known seeker, unknown seeker. I don't know. At some point, I got it. It's, you know, I've, I've worked with them off and on and over the years. Like, you learn a hell of a lot about the business through them um, in one way or another. Like, that, that place is a crash course in, in the comic industry in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, I mean, just, like, the amount of, of stuff I would I would see from – output wise like because I, I would basically be in charge of like uploading books and like like getting like metadata and stuff like that and it just like reminded me too like how much good stuff is coming out at any given time yeah. like and, and really makes it horrifying as a creator because like when your book is on the shelf like you are next to Brian Vaughn you are next to Kelly Sudakotic you are next to John Hickman and like readers don't don't know that that you are maybe not someone who has been working even a third as long as these people, they just judge you by your books. And I think there's something exciting, but also horrifying about that as well. Like remember when five goes came out, someone like an early review, I saw someone was like, well, this isn't as good as Sandman. And I was like, yeah, no shit. Like it's not as good as Sandman. Like it's I will thing. gladly tell you that. Michelangelo, like really? <laughs> it's two totally different things. Right? <laughs> Yeah, but uh, it, it just reminds me that there is almost that, like, blindness on a consumer level, which can be great, but also horrifying that people don't necessarily care that it's your first book or care that you're not a storied creative, creator. They're just going to judge it based on its content. But, uh, but yeah, you've heard it here first. Five goes not as good as that. <laughs> uh, did you well, – so the interesting is, like, coming from that background, do you, are you, do you think you view digital comics probably differently than maybe some of the other – creators who are, you know, weren't immersed in the digital era? I think there might be, like, I'm definitely, like, all for embracing it and, and doing everything we can to kind of use that as a growth sector for comics, as I think a lot more people are, are unfortunately, like, more likely to, to download something on a digital device than they are to find a comic shop. And uh, I'm also, again, very, very tied in with the retail community and, and our retail partners do so, so much work. And, and I'm always thankful that retailers have been so kind with my work and offer just such a great support network. But uh, I, I think some people are, are not, I don't want to say anyone's ignorant, but like don't necessarily understand the boons that are there in terms of a new audience. And uh, I think the data has shown that, and, and you can probably <laughs> correct me on this as well, but like, that a lot of the people who buy digital comics buy print comics as well. Like it is kind of a nice like 
I don't know, like one big unit of, of readers who kind of just like the medium and will use every available opportunity to get comics instead of just like, these are the digital fans. These are the print fans. But uh, I really just like, it's, Obviously, for my own interests as a creator who wants to keep selling comics, but I think it is so important that everyone be thinking and doing as much as we humanly can to bring new people into this into this hobby, into this medium, because it it's horrifying how few readers we actually have at the end of the day. Yeah, but, uh, well, yeah I, mean, I, I, I think other. there's a lot of cool stuff there. But uh, well, so the, sorry. The other, no, no, no. It's all good. The, so the other. Of course, the other thought I had, I mean, you know, working at it, I mean, you said that you kind of your job was to kind of cut up the, the comics and, and get them ready and put, do the metadata in and, and get all the – basically get them prepped for consumption. Like did you as a writer start thinking through your storytelling different? I've, I've asked this question a lot to different folks, and you always get different answers because, um, you know, the way the comics on uh, comicsology is different, you know, going panel by panel potentially yeah, in digital yeah. in general. Well, I actually – I actually didn't do a lot of that, like uh, the guided view authoring. Like, uh, there's a there's a section of digital editors who mainly do that. I mean, I've I've done it before, and like, I've seen how the tool set works, and like, uh, would sit next to people who did it at work. But I I did a lot more of just like, uh, I guess I was a production coordinator was really my position. Okay. So uh, versus a digital editor, but I I feel like the sheer amount of comics I saw was incredibly teachable and, and initially I really did uh when I was just a temp I was like kind of just like checking the guided view for like quality assurance and I managed to reread a lot of my favorite books that way and, and it definitely was interesting <laughs> to think like to see almost at the micro level of what they were doing and, and I, I think it, it it wasn't instrumental but it was always helpful to just be around comics all day when I'm trying to go home and make comics as well and, and see what's working and in what the good books are doing uh, so, is there any, so yes, is yes there anything that no, like you picked up? It's... Like, is there anything uh, you picked I mean, up as really, a writer? Really, probably just uh, nothing that I can like quantify. But like, like one of the first things I did was just sit there and QC all of Powers by Bendis and Oming, and just like again looking at all that again, like you can learn a lot from looking at those books. Like there's, there's yeah. so much good stuff happening and so much innovative stuff. And, and for me, especially as a writer, I'm not a very, uh, I tend to not be very micromanaging in my scripts. Like I like to really give the artists a lot of leeway with layout and, and things like that. Uh, I write full scripts, so I'll write like panel one, panel two, panel three. but I, I found that like, I've been very fortunate to work with very collaborative, uh, very talented collaborators who are always able to take my script, which, which again is on the looser side of things and really do innovative stuff and really kind of surprise me and themselves with the work. And, and I think that looking at a lot of the more creator owned stuff, you see a good deal more of that versus I feel like, uh, I feel like Marvel and DC have been taking more chances, especially on the art side of things, than they ever had and, and are in a really great place. But truly, I think in, in creator-owned work, you see a lot more of the daring kind of uh, collaboration, so to speak. And, and just, again, looking at stuff like that, like, was inspiring and did remind me of what I liked about it. And, and again, I, I don't think it was instructive as much as 
it was just kind of remembering <laughs> what I really liked and, and being around kind of good stuff all the time. And also, if you would read something you didn't really care for, that's always instructive as well. I mean, I am a huge reader of comics. I read every week, and I try to stay up to date on everything I can. I mean, time and money aside, but, like, I personally yeah. find it very annoying when people are, like, working comics or, like, I don't read comics. Like, that's fine. There's a lot of that. Happen. That's, it, again, like shots fired, everyone, but that's an asshole thing to say. Like, that's like being a musician and saying you hate music. Like, come on. Like, you can, <laughs> you can, you can suffer through some comics if you're working in this industry. Like, let's deal with that. And, and there's enough stuff that you can find something you like. I think things largely are better than they've ever been. And the term embarrassment of riches, like, is easy to throw around right now. And, uh, quite frankly, I feel like we have more good books than we have readers right now, which is why a lot of stuff will, will kind of die on the vine these days just because we need more people and there's more stuff for people. So so get off your high horse if you're a comics reader who doesn't read comics because why? what are you doing? Yeah, you'd be amazed I hope I get, at how I, I hope I get some hate mail. I hope I get some hate mail <laughs> about that. <laughs> I was going to say, well, this one's about the... the not with me any fans in the uh, in the actual uh, uh, blogger community. You'd be shocked at how many uh, creators, when I go to interview them, say either usually after the interview and say, "Wow, you actually read my comic." Like going into the interview, and I'm like, do, do people not normally do this? I'm like, I like to know what I'm talking about when I'm talking to you. Like, this kind of seems like a normal thing. But yeah, it reminds me of uh, music interviews where like. Uh, because I grew up playing music and, and really was into that scene and it was what I wanted to do. And a lot of my good friends are, are still in, in bands and touring musicians. And just some of the interviews in music get so far away from, like, anything. And it's all just about, like, personalities and brands. And it's just so frustrating, like, when you read an interview, like, with a musician that's like, so, like, you make a really weird hamburger. Tell us about that. It's like, holy shit, what are we talking about? <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, it, it's it, it, too many times have I gotten that. And I just stare at the person being like, wow, you've had to have had a string of shitty interviews up to this point that you're shocked on this. But okay. Uh, but we're here to actually talk about a comic. Speaking of promoting comics, um, <laughs> <laughs> we're only a half an hour in. We should probably get to the main point of it. Uh, yeah, but before I start disparaging up. my peers, that's a, that's a good look to hit a half hour. <laughs> well, no, nah, you're keeping them in. They're all hooked at this point. It's that you know <laughs> the great thing from private parts when they're like the average you know the average lover of Howard Stern listens for an hour and ten minutes. The average hater listens for three hours and fifteen minutes. <laughs> we're just we're just going for that three hours and fifteen. Uh, so November, you've got a new comic call out uh, coming out called Violent Love. Uh, it's uh, reteaming with Victor Santos, one of my favorite artists uh, and comic oh, creators out too. there. Yeah, just love his love. His polar is beyond awesome. Pretty much anything he touches is awesome. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and volume three was, what, last week? And, oh, yeah. so good. So glad to see that out. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, so for those who might not know, your pitch for the series to get them to go and pre-order, because the big discussion this week is pre-order, pre-order, pre-order. Enough of this shit. Get out and pre-order, folks. So the floor to, to try to sell people on it. Uh, so, well, the tagline we're just using for it is is a uh, a criminal romance inspired by true events. 
So <laughs> for what that's worth, as it is not much of a, a buzzy statement, I feel like a big part of the book is uh, it is about two notorious bank robbers in the American Southwest in the 70s who independent of each other are kind of forces to be reckoned with, but end up falling in love and becoming this Bonnie and Clyde-esque power couple. And it's their story of kind of their rise and fall. Uh, We have not shown much of the book yet, which soon will be remedied. We're being very slow with our rollout as it's still very far away, but uh, we're thankfully very far ahead on the book. Like uh, Victor is working on issue four right now. So we have three issues completely done and, and the fourth on its way out the door. Uh, which is very surreal for me to be this far ahead. It, it really gives a unique perspective to be able to look at the book before uh, it's even on the shelves in, in such complete in such complete form. But uh, really, the big thing is it's, it's again it's a revenge story. It's uh, the uh, female bank robber Daisy Jane is really the main character in it. It's a uh, story about kind of how she gets thrown into this life of being a, a kind of traveling criminal and, and what her motivation is and, and what she's going to kind of go through to, to get revenge. It is a revenge story, but also that she builds something really deep and personal with, with this other criminal rock Bradley who becomes her lover. And in that sense, it really is a, a true love story. Uh, we've done a lot of research into the genre, uh, more than just like watching Matthew McConaughey movies, but I, I feel like it's a really, not often explored like romance in general, like, like part of action stories in general, especially like pulp stuff. Like typically it's, it's very reductive and uh, the female characters are reduced to just kind of eye candy with, or just like femme fatales who have no real motivations or characters. So really a a big part of it is trying to subvert that and have a really well-developed, interesting female lead who carries this revenge story and and for me it's been a whole new set of exciting challenges like I I really did not want to just do something that I felt like I've done before but it's all anchored by the amazing work of Victor Santos who is just a absolute genius and this is I'm a huge fan of Victor and I love everything he's done and including his work on Black Market which we collaborated on but this is his best I was about to ask you about that yeah it's it's insane. He's doing everything. He's drawing, inking, and coloring it. And as I said, has full leeway with layout and everything. And it's just jaw-dropping. Like, I really hope this book puts him on the map in a huge way as he's such a talent. And I feel like people are familiar with him, but he's never had something that really broke through. And, like, part of my, I mean, besides obvious selfish reasons for wanting it to do well, but really I want this to be kind of Victor's, like, signature piece in the U.S. to really see him come out. But, uh, but yeah, just a, a, a pulpy action criminal love story is the best I can really say. And if, if that sounds appealing in any way, shape, or form, you should take a look because it is a jaw-droppingly beautiful book that does not shy away from all the things that the medium of comics does well. Uh, Victor is extremely inventive on the page and is definitely like a comic reader's comic. Like uh, He just is doing such creative paneling and, and really using the form that it's hard to imagine this as, as anything other than a comic. It's not like a soft movie pitch or some kind of like just crappy, basic, like simple stories. It's really something that exists within the frame of comics. It is an ongoing series. We hope to do a really nice long run on this and, and really get the support that we need to maintain that because uh, 
See, it's, it sucks that the book is not out because I want to talk about stuff in the book specifically. But yeah, yeah. Uh, there is a uh, there is a really uh, for me fun fun thing as a writer as it does take place within a frame story and uh, it, it's a lot of stuff that I've become fascinated with, like in terms of like craft and writing and how to do it right and how to work it in. And and we thankfully had such a lead time on this and thought about it so much that uh, it's a pretty well oiled machine for us by this point fourth even in anyone's hands so uh i would highly recommend it it means a lot to both of us and, and we're both really happy to be be back at image i've i've been very fortunate to work at so many different publishers and and i am thankful and love everyone but uh image really is a unique beast where we don't have any editorial we can kind of really do whatever we want and that freedom is both kind of extremely gratifying but extremely scary at the same time as we we don't have any safety nets like this is our book this is our uncompromised vision and we <laughs> this is the way we did it and the way it will always be and and unfortunately or fortunately for us like no one really told us what to do so uh it's a very very true book for both of us and and hopefully that resonates with people and in the same way five goes did that five goes is a very uncompromised just like pure version of the book without any outside interference for better or worse. And uh, again, I, I love working with editorial as well, but on this book, it just really is the kind of thing where it's just Victor and I making the book we want to make, like to satisfy ourselves and hopefully that will work for our audience as well. How did you actually get together with Victor? I mean, you, you said that he's not a breakout yet. He absolutely should be. I'm like, I'm, at this point baffled how he hasn't broken out huge in the industry because um, the guy's beyond talented. Um, I, so how did you actually, actually come together? Because you worked with him on Black Market, right? That was the yeah, first and, thing? Yeah, and I have, uh, I, yeah, and, and I had been a, a fan before that. I feel like it was Filthy Rich that really, really brought his work to life for me. And then I would check out the um, my sampler stuff he was doing. So he did a book called Filthy Rich with Brian Azzarello, if anyone listening has not heard. Back what a Vertigo did their uh, excellent but short-lived crime line where they were doing those kind of little yes. digest-sized hardcovers. And uh, I was just like, wow, this is an artist who's amazing. And it was I feel like it really came around that time where I was just, like super deep into comics. And just one of those things, someone I never thought I would work with, but always kind of kept on my radar to check in and see what they were doing. Uh, and then, thankfully, I, I credit my editors, uh, Chris Rosen and Eric Carver, and at boom for finding Victor when we were developing black market, they were like, Oh, well we have samples from, from Victor Santos. If you want to check those out. I was like, yes, hire him. please." <laughs> and uh, thankfully Victor agreed to do the project and really liked it. And we just, while working on that struck up a really good creative back and forth and, and a good friendship online. And as soon as we wrapped, we were like, Oh, well we definitely want to do something else together. So let's just work on developing this. And uh, we slowly rolled into violent love I just started making it without really thinking of where we would do it or what we were going to do with it, just slowly kind of putting it together. And uh, thankfully I had it together enough to show Eric from Image uh, a year ago at New York Con again. And he was like, oh, well, if you want to do this here, we'd love to have it. So here we are <laughs> a year later. So uh, it, it's been a kind of long gestating thing. So I'm very excited to finally get it in front of people. But uh, yeah, no, I, I'm just like, constantly humbled and honored to be working with Victor and have him committing his time and effort to 
Obrajka. I mean, he's he's a true co-creator on the book. It's it's his baby as well. So it's really nice to to have someone equally invested in giving everything they have to the project as well. With the the comic, he said it in the seventies. I mean, you know, listening to you talk in the kind of area you start. Uh, Eris, you started reading comics. You're like me, a child of the '80s and '90s, and uh, and so why set the comic in the '70s? So we as we have a really kind of natural uh, reason for having the broad timeline we have because uh, I mean the first scene okay. of the book we see is actually in the '80s, but I wanted to do a book that had more of a kind of like exciting aesthetic than putting in the modern time. I didn't want anyone to have a cell phone. I didn't want anyone to, to kind of be embellishing anything in the modern age. And, and honestly, I feel like crime just has really good sensibility in that era, back when, when things were like a little more rugged, a little more rockability, so to speak. And it, the minute I mentioned this to Victor, he has a much better kind of visual library in his brain of this and immediately started pointing me to all these great films from the era and like kind of stuff you want to reference and it really just kind of worked like you kind of you do stuff sometimes exploratively not knowing where it's going to go but here it just really struck a chord and, and gives it a good sense of like almost being more of like an American folktale or, or just kind of working in the mythology of, of kind of the for lack of using buzzwords, but like Americana from that age. And it, it just really gives it a, a good feel and tone. And, and I think that if we did the same book, but it was set in 2015, it would really just kind of have a colder, more, I don't know, like, like impersonal tone to it. Like it wouldn't really be a product of its time. And, and I, it just ended up working really well in, in this time period. And I was so glad to have Victor, really willing to do the work and, and do all the reference there as well. And, and really kind of give it a sense of, of being a period piece rather than just being a story that was only interesting on one level. So that's my long and meandering answer. <laughs> yeah, was, that, like uh, what, what type of research were you doing? I like, I won't even know other than watching a whole bunch of seventies films. Um, that's really, yeah. uh, I mean, that's really, it's all been aesthetic purposes. And I mean, other than that too, just like making sure like, Oh, like, well, what kind of like cars or like what kind of guns would they actually be using? Like what were the kind of things in the zeitgeist? And, and as I've pointed to like Bonnie and Clyde is a big reference point for this as well as, uh, just kind of the whole romantic notion of being able to rob banks and, and from a logical point of view, like, I feel like, it would be a lot more kind of off the cuff in, in this era versus say like now where you'd probably need like a really crazy plan and a really crazy detailed plan to do any kind of serious robbery versus a heist in the seventies, which could be a little more, I think like loose and rugged versus now where it's like, Oh, hack the security cameras or shit like that. Like I did not want to waste time (laughs) worrying about, uh, the nuances of modern technology or, or anything like that. And I mean, a big part of the book is like, uh, is about romanticizing other times in your life and, and just the kind of ways we look back on things with the kind of a, a, a rose hue, even when they were kind of gnarly and weird times. So that definitely does play into uh, a lot of the book. And yeah, it's, uh, I don't know. It, it 
when you find something that works, it's a great feeling. So <laughs> we were very fortunate that uh, that it ended up working. And then I, just really, it, it's been more aesthetic stuff. And I really do credit Victor for being an expert on that because this isn't the kind of thing where we'd want to fake, where it just kind of has like a stamp on it of like pseudo, like, oh, like this isn't really authentically in this time period. It's just kind of got like a, a fake aesthetic. And I certainly did not want that. So I hope uh, <laughs> people can feel that there's a, a purpose for, for where we set this and why. You, you can admit it. You you were listening to a lot of disco while you were writing, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, like, really the, the big thing has been kind of like, like kind of more like kind of folky, folky stuff and like some rockabilly yeah. stuff. I mean, I wanted the book to have like a, a cool aesthetic, obviously. And, and this just really has been the perfect fit for Victor, I think. And, uh, and he's really the one who I approached him when we were starting to talk about what we wanted to do after Black Market. I was like, well, is there, is there any genre you'd like to like kind of infuse into our next project that you haven't done? And he said romance. And that's really what got me thinking about this story. And me saying like, okay, if I was going to tell a romance, a love story that was important to me or had something unique to me to say, how would I do it? And I give Victor a lot of credit for, for planting that initial seed and, and getting me to kind of think in this frame where I had, and, and I think around the same time I, I wrote that issue of Avengers world. Uh, that was kind of the love story between uh cannonball and smasher, which again is, is yeah. a done in one little thing. And, but it was, it was really fun and it was really sweet. It was to be. so good. Oh, thank you. I was going to say, I, I don't, I don't know if, if people really cared or not, but I really was like, Oh, you know what? This is like a very, underused kind of emotion that we explore in, in a lot of like modern action comics and and for me really kind of invested me more in the work and, and I think that gave me the confidence to kind of come about this in in more of a uh, actual true to form love story way and obviously it, it, it's all framed in a crazy violent pulpy action revenge story as well but I really have been working to do my part to make sure we have like engaging characters that you really do care about that you, you find out who they are and what their views on, on kind of love are and what they're using love as a means or really to what end and, and what that ends up saying about hopefully (laughs) what you or I may think about, the notion of uh, of kind of love and, and what it does to kind of invest in another person as well as yourself, especially in a, in a kind of like hyper realized pulp setting. Like what do you gain out of, out of kind of trusting and loving someone else? Blah, blah, blah. Oh. <laughs> Not go on about that. Uh, but no, it, it's really been a fruitful, uh, fruitful place to put the book. I think it's made it so much more interesting than just trying to do the like, Kill Bill style crazy revenge story that doesn't really uh in, in I say that as a huge Kill Bill fan please but uh, I wanted I didn't want to just retread that crowd I want to do something challenging and, and different and I feel like this has really ended up being the perfect project for that. Yeah, well, I mean, when you when you kind of you're talking about wanting to be more than the kind of the genre, like do not do the typical genre. Like I'm thinking. Bonnie and Clyde, Natural Born Killers, 
you know, setting the seventies. Um, but it sounds like you're, you're kind of reaching to do more than that and actually what, thinking and, about and those are, those are and they're great touchdowns for us as well. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and awesome things. But I, I feel like I wouldn't say ours is, is more wholesome than that, but there is, I think a little <laughs> bit more of a, of a, of a kind of, good-hearted core like it's not like a mean book by any stance like like i think of like natural born killers which is great but it definitely has that like kind of hard edge to it and while i think our book can be edgy i don't think it's mean-spirited if that makes sense like I, i think at the end it is about building something more not necessarily just taking away so with the, i mean you kind of talked about it a little bit earlier with the this main character daisy um who's, you know, one of the two, it's, what, Daisy and Rock are the two main characters, um, that you, you said you, you want her to be more than just, you know, arm candy and kind of I'm there and just, you know, Rock sidekick. Like, what were you doing to, to really focus in on her to, to flesh out that character? I've, I've had the very good fortune to do a lot of, uh, I think, I don't want to say non-traditional because I feel like it's it's hard, but like in the frame of superhero comics, non-traditional female leads recently in my work, and and it's a really important issue to me to think about kind of one diversity on the whole in work and just like everyone being represented in comics and it not just being a straight white males club or those are the way people we write stories about the way people can be heroes in stories, but also just to kind of break the confines of a stereotypical male writing a quote strong female protagonist like I think that has also been done to death so for me it really comes down to just a lot of the the basic tenets of writing character like making sure that there is a full realized character underneath with like proper motivations informed by the world and then okay what gender are they and then on top of that then you also get the weight of of again, how how a female might process the world and what kind of struggles they might have to deal with, what kind of perspectives they might have, and it's it's really just that organic sense of building the character. And I think in this sense, we wouldn't go far as to start throwing around things like we're subverting the genre, but it's a love story. But the female character is our lead, and it's it is very much Daisy's story, and it, that will become apparent once people see issue one, as it's mainly about her and, and where she came from and, and how she kind of finds herself, excuse me, in a position of being kind of a, a notorious bank robber. But uh, I don't know. I, I feel like it's refreshing as well to just kind of get a story that won't shy away from from kind of in a more honest look at life through through a character again gender aside but just like oh like there's some we're gonna see like what this person really kind of loves and cares about and it may not be the exact like paradigm of what everyone should be but for me it's it's made it a really authentic character and it's not just some badass pretty girl with a gun it's someone who's suffered loss someone who's kind of making sense of the world, who's finding her place in it and learning all the dynamics, especially when you're in kind of a violent boys club as such as crime and beyond that, so many things in the modern world uh, that may not be as outwardly kind of bombastic as robbing banks, but really to just take an honest look with the character and see 
what she goes through, how she has to posture to kind of be, quote, a badass, and, and what kind of effect it really has on her and how that leads to kind of the ultimate kind of meaning of the book, which is like kind of what, at the end of the day, like what do we kind of build in life? Like where do we take things? Like it, it is a revenge story, as I said, and, and obviously there's a real good and bad ending to revenge. And, and really I, it's the love story that kind of pushes up against this here. Like what do you make of all this at the end of it? And, and that's going to be, hopefully very personal to a lot of people, or if they don't necessarily agree with the character, they're really going to get why they, uh, why Daisy ends up where she ends up, why, why this works out. And it's a really, uh, I mean, it's in the crime genre. It's violent. It's intense. Not everyone makes it out alive. It's very, very kind of hyper realized in that way. But I'd like to say it's a lot more human in its approach rather than not to, go back to it, but something like Kill Bill where you have the bride and she's kind of just like going crazy and killing everyone. And that's, I mean, it works because it's part of who she is, but there is consequence in our book. It's, it's right. It is violent, but it's not intended to glorify violence as well. Like I was, I can't remember who I was telling about this uh, recently, but a thing about we're so desensitized to like violence in film and comics and, and TV. And I think people forget that, when you see it in real life, it's fucking scary. Like it's really, really not okay. Like our bodies are like kind of physically repulsed by real violence. Like if someone just gets hit with like a two by four in front of you, you will viscerally have that reaction. And definitely with some of the violence in this book, Victor has (laughs) really outdone himself with rendering it in in very intense ways. And it's not meant to, to kind of like, titillate and be cool it's meant to remind the reader that like oh this this is a scary world like there are consequences here like this is unsettling and there is really something on the line here our our characters aren't just like invincible terminators and while it can seem that way in fiction it, it is kind of i think refreshing to remind the reader that like oh this this is supposed to be scary like this isn't supposed to be make you want to go out and buy a gun this is to remind you that when, when people make certain decisions, they get in deeper than they can handle. And I think in a lot of the uh, kind of more tense crime-centric genres, that's a feeling we've been seeing, which is, I, I think really is fruitful to storytelling. And and without getting ranty about it, it it's hard to work in, in a space like this and, and tell stories that kind of can glorify violence, but then dial back and be like, no, 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 I'm not about that. But I'm hoping there's a balance there. People can see that we're not just trying to to do violent things for violent sakes. And I mean, yes, the name of our book is Violent Love, but, but that, I think that really speaks to more of like the way love itself can be tumultuous rather than like being excited about punching someone in the face. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I mean, you can always have, you can have violence without fetishizing it. You, you don't have to take it to that Tarantino exactly. level where it's, where the the violence itself is the thing of how far can he take this scene and, and make things so over the top that it's almost silly. Um, and, and as you said, and, and, again, I, and I, and I love a lot of that stuff too, but certainly like when, when I think of my intention, that's not, not the intent here, but stuff does get 
very gnarly. But and for me, at least, I mean, who knows how people will process it? For me, it, it really is almost to add kind of that horror a little bit that like, oh, wow, like when you were in a room full of people shooting guns, like it is not cool. It is very scary. It's very, uh, very intense. And, uh, and I'm hoping that we can see, see that in the book a little bit, but you know, people will process it how they process it. But I can't say it all looks really cool because Victor is a great artist. Yeah, well, the funniest that you, you kind of said it is when you when I saw the title of Violent Love, the first thing I would think of wasn't the violence of, like, the bank robbery. I was thinking just a very uh, aggressive, uh, I don't even know how to say it, intense love affair. Like, that's, that was the violence to me, not the actual, like, physical violence that, that's going to go on. Um, and, and it's interesting because I feel like that really is the, where I'm trying to channel with with the title and with the book. And these are two yeah. extremely intense individuals who who are really kind of rough around the edges, so to speak. And, and I think that we'll learn early on, like what each of them thinks they're getting out of out of this relationship and, and what they're moving towards. And if we do our jobs right, hopefully it's not what people expect and will ultimately add up to something more. But uh, it's, uh, I don't know, it's definitely been a very interesting project for me and, and I'm so, so proud of it and, and really excited to kind of get it out there. And I think it's, I mean, I'm, I'm fortunate to put out a lot of work and this is definitely my favorite thing I've ever done. And to have someone like Victor involved with it just makes it all all the better because we feel like we're constantly pushing each other to do cooler and more kind of bold things with both of our work. And, and just knowing that uh, we will hopefully be able to kind of keep it going for a nice long time is, is really the cherry on top to kind of not rush through it and take our time to tell the story we want to tell, hit the beats we want to tell and really do it without compromise as, uh, as I can never fault, uh, any publisher who wants to put out a book, but it is definitely a huge risk to put out any kind of creator-owned work right now. And really, that's that's just created a space where we really can't do these really long series because just sales will not translate. And one of the great parts of being at Image is it's really us putting our asses on the line and knowing like, okay, well, we have a plan and it's not like we're we're getting kind of Marvel and DC rates to do this. We're, we're taking a big risk and we believe in this project and we're not going to just run from the hills if it doesn't sell a billion copies. We, we want to earn our readership and hopefully keep them around. What's well, that's actually a, kind of something I want to discuss about. I mean, there, there was a lot of talk about this week uh, with Nighthawk getting canceled and, and, you know, putting stuff out there that, you know, might be some, some would consider somewhat risky and uh, while, you know, people saying they want that, the audience not being there, like, what are your thoughts of that generally as, as a creator, as a, you know, doing your, like, your own work? It really is on your shoulders. You know, you know what are well, your thoughts I, on, I on think, getting out there? I think it's the honest-to-God truth of this. Like, as I said, I, I'm extremely passionate about the fact, it's not a good fact, that there are not enough people reading comics to to maintain the quality we need and the kind of um, amount of work that I think really makes something special. I, I feel like I grew up during a lot of those great vertigo runs. Uh, again, look at like why the last man, look at like scalp, look at like uh, sweet tooth, like 
like a, a hundred bullets and, and things like that, that ran for a really long time. And yeah, the sales weren't really there, but because they were backed by, by DC and DC found value in those books and Vertigo found value, they put them out and saw them through. And I think that, and again, even something like Preacher, which uh, obviously always did well. And, and again, I don't have necessarily access to all the fiscal data to, to talk about it as fact, but but they didn't necessarily, they weren't selling like 60,000 copies of an issue. Like they, they would do probably well in trade to recoup, but there was value in having those books and keeping them around. And I think that's where some of the best stories came from where, where teams really got comfortable on a book and found something to say and, and built these kind of legacy runs. And it's really scary right now that you cannot do that in the current comics market. Like it just does not compute. And yeah, Warner Brothers has a lot of money. Yeah, Disney has a lot of money. But guess what? Like, there is a hard bottom line where if a book is not selling, like, it's a factor. And I don't think Marvel yeah. and DC, and I know I know they don't just cancel books based off of, of sales, but it is, the margins, I think, are much higher than people think. Like, it, it is very easy for those books to become unprofitable and that just really makes it even more of an uphill battle and something like Nighthawk which was a great great book like at the end of the day I feel like it it really just was not enough people buying it to keep it on the shelves and that sucks like that is that is not a judgment on the book that's no one involved's fault it's not Marvel's fault it's not retailers fault I think it's one of just the honest realities of our market and the fact that when we have so much work coming out, like exciting things going on, like publishers doing things like Rebirth, which I think ultimately are good for the market, but a lot of retail money gets put into that that month. And, and unfortunately, there is a finite amount. And yep. it, it's a problem with no answer almost. And, and I sympathize to all sides of it because, as I said, I've been very fortunate to work with a lot of people. And there's no greater respect that, than knowing someone is paying me to put out something that probably won't sell great. Like that is just <laughs> counterintuitive to business. And, and I am not like crazy famous. My books are not going to sell crazy numbers. And nine times out of 10, when our team is getting a rate, we are not earning that rate back. So I can't, I can never run my mouth and be a dick about that. Or like, why don't my books last forever? And honestly, like, it's just amazing to have the opportunity to do them. And, and I don't blame publishers. I don't blame readers. I don't blame retailers. It's just the kind of unfortunate side of having a small market. And I try to put my energy into thinking how to kind of help the medium. And, and I wish I knew the answer. I wish more people knew the answer, but uh, <laughs> I wish someone knew the answer really. But uh, I think it is uh, a we do. really tough time. <laughs> I just <laughs> well anyway uh, let's get let's get to that but uh but no I I think it it is extremely I mean I don't mean to say that you you can just without any barrier do your book forever at image but certainly there's there's not the kind of money going into a book in a rate form from like a company like in the way that like say a Marvel book would be and this isn't me like spouting secrets but it's also why image has like you own everything and you get the profit yeah. from your book to put amongst your team, but really it's you putting it out there and, and having to kind of put your money where your mouth is. But it, it does give us the ability to do the book for a longer time because there's not just a, a hard bottom line where we have to sell this much to keep it profitable. 
and, and that yeah, feel free to. And, I mean, and it, it's an exciting place to be in. Like that's the thing. I, I feel like to know that we don't have a a like okay, like if you miss the mark, you're out. That we'll go through and do at least as much as we humanly think we can do, and and get out there is is an exciting place to be in for me. I, I've done a lot of miniseries, like, and I really am looking forward to having the space to kind of do a nice, like, longer piece. Cool. So I feel free to correct me on this because it's not like I've actually worked with Image. Like, I always looked at Image as more of kind of like a confederacy of a publisher and that they are, you know, the the bigger piece of it and then you have all these creators who are kind of their separate entities and then go to image to get maybe better printing rates and and better you know and uh being be able to put into diamond books and hopefully get better uh shelving or you know more of a look at stores and so it's kind of like a group of folks as opposed to marvel which is you know they really run the show and are telling you what to do and and do that like image to me always struck me as is that you know various folks who've come together for like the greater good to help each other out in that way, you know, way of that you get some benefits out of it, but it's really a lot still on your shoulders. Well, I feel like, yes, but like, they're just like, they're just not, it's not a traditional publishing model. Yeah. Uh, It is still heavily curated by Eric, which, which again is why you can't just magically like walk into image and get, get a book like I've had stuff rejected there like still like he Eric I, I think has amazing taste and a really good vision for the company and, and I can never fault him even when my own stuff is rejected but uh so in that sense it is is still a very competitive space like to get a book there is, is still not like written in stone no matter who you are right. I think that there is part of it that is very refreshing so uh but once you are there like they really just give you a platform to to do what you want in a way like, and, and not to say that other publishers don't, but like, again, you can pick how long your book wants to be. You pick when it comes out, you, you can use all your pages. And it, and for me, certainly it is a tremendous platform as, as they have just worked so hard and have such a good presence with retailers, have a, a great presence in the book market. And it is the most you can ask for. Cause I feel like a lot of people may not understand just how, how difficult that can still be. Like I've done books at many publishers and I wish they all sold like, like, <laughs> like a lot of the books that image did, but it's just, it, there's a million factors, but I think that a lot of it is, is they put their time in and, and really kind of earned the spot they're in. And as a creator, when you get access to that, it really becomes, okay, well, what can I do to make sure we're, we're using this platform to its fullest extent, that we're doing everything we can and I'm bringing the right book here and what's a good fit? Because it's one of the pro- uh, questions people like to ask, and rightfully so, like what is the difference of working at, at different publishers? And uh, certainly I feel like understanding where uh, they are in the marketplace is a huge part of that. And, and Image, mm-hmm. thankfully, has a... Uh, a very great presence in in the marketplace. So I know with something like Violent Love, it's really on on Victor and myself to make sure the book does well because like we can't blame the publisher not not having enough access to the retailers or anything like that. Like the book will really stand on its own two legs at this point. So it's up to us. And as I said, that that's both exciting and horrifying because we know if it doesn't go well, we can't really just say like, oh, well, we just fucked it up because 
<laughs> they did not. They let us publish it there, which is all we can ask. So then it's down to us. But I, it, it is a very interesting, uh, interesting business model, and and it is certainly uh, it has its nuances, as does everything. Like, uh, but it is definitely a really great place to be as a creator. And uh, I feel so fortunate that we were able to do five ghosts there. And as I explained through almost like a, a stroke of luck, it's, it's funny because a lot of people, you can ask what was the kind of luckiest thing that ever happened to you in your life. And they may not know, but for me, I will always say like getting five was picked up by image because it, it gave me a career in comics. So uh, I will always have a, a bit of that sentimental uh, <laughs> attachment to the company as it was really, really being in the, in the right place at the right time, I think in a lot of ways. So with you know being a, an image creator, when it comes to that that marketing, you know a lot of it's on your shoulders, right? Like you get to call the shots and do as much or as little as you want, right? Uh, well, I mean, it certainly helps a lot to know how comics retail works, to have good relationships with retailers, because uh, again, uh, I'm sorry, did I lose you? It sounded like something. No, no. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, but no, uh, so as I said, Image does does have, they are a company. Again, they, they will do PR for you. They will send out explicit. They will do that side of it. But at the end of the day, as I said, it is a extremely competitive space within comics. And you need to really know, like, okay, so beyond just that, I need to be reaching out to retailers. I need to be doing my own marketing on top of Image's marketing. I need to just be fighting every chance you get to really make sure your book is out there and represented because there's just so much stuff. And in, in, even within image, like the same month we launched, there's uh, the new book from Scott Snyder and Jeff Lemire and a new John Hickey yeah. book. And yeah, I'm not like an idiot. Like those are going to be the books that people are going to go to. Like people are still going to buy saga. People are still going to buy Southern bastards. And really I put the weight on my shoulders of being like, okay, like how can I, push past that? How can I work to make sure like my book doesn't just get lost in the shuffle? And, and there's no easy answer for it, unfortunately, but it, it really does come down to, to learning kind of how to, to work marketing and, and do it. And as I said, I just don't want to make it sound like image does not do that because they do, but really when you're in, in a, in a schedule with things like that, like you have to do everything you possibly can. Like, and, so I, I, I feel like, in a practical sense, just really getting to know retailers who carry your book and, and who are important retailers or retailers who sell stuff you like, where you really have to have a, a working dialogue with the retailers because they do the hardest part, which is actually selling your book to people. And if you're not giving them every resource you can and, and really kind of keeping them up to date with everything, you're kind of just shooting yourself in the foot. I feel like that's a side of things that people really might overlook and think like, oh, well, I got my image books, so now we're going to sell a million copies. It's like, wish it was so. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I, I do really thank that, uh, thank the uh, good fortune of kind of getting five ghosts in there when we did, where we got a really good uh, kind of debut because it, it was really just when image was hitting their kind of crazy stride and reinventing creator owned, I think, and, and quickly learning like, okay, like what can I do past that to help? And, and also just the desire that you want your name as a creator to be selling a book, not just the company or not just 
the character. And, and I think that's an ongoing struggle for everyone in comics to be like, oh, like you're, you're building a brand, you're hopefully building an audience for yourself. And again, I, I feel very fortunate that I've had a lot of opportunities, but the fear is always like, oh, well, is it, is it Marvel selling my book? Is it Image selling my book? Or is it me selling my book? And, and I'm really thankful when I meet anyone who tends to follow my my work wherever I go, because that means a lot. That shows me that they like what I'm doing. And really, I hope those are the people who, who I can get to stick with me and uh, keep things going. Well, that was actually kind of one of the, the next thing I wanted to ask about. I mean, it, it seems, yeah, I mean, when you and I were, were you know, starting, when I was starting reading comics, but, you know, in the 90s, it was very, you know, creator name driven, you know, people really followed the creators from book to books and there was rock star creators. I mean, for Christ's sake, Rob Liefeld was in a Levi's ad, like rock star creators. Um, and then, you know, things kind of dialed back a little bit and I think it became more, you know, the brands again and the creators, you know, took a back seat a little bit. And now we're, we're back into heading towards that, that rock star creator, era especially with social media like social media seems to really uh sped that up again i mean as you as a creator like are you thinking about that i mean you clearly are because you kind of just mentioned you know people following you around but you know when it comes to your marketing and getting your book out there like are you really thinking like all right how can i do this like what what steps do i need to do to to you know take these folks with me to the next book I, I mean, absolutely. I, I feel like it, it is such a – people are going to write such interesting books about marketing 20 years from now when they come back and look at everything. Yeah. And I unfortunately don't think I, I'm i great at social media or have a like great like persona or brand. And there's some people who do and, and more power to them. That really kind of helps them get a huge platform and get a lot of kind of people who follow their work and – that's their skill set, and it's it's kind of remarkable to see and look at from a almost just analytical point of view. But for me, it's it's really just like finding purposeful, purposeful basic marketing almost. Like, okay, I did this, and I saw this actual reaction. And for me, it's really just uh, I think trying to keep my work semi unified. Like, I'd like to think there's like like a, a similar aesthetic, even though I'm not perfectly good at phrasing it but I, I look at someone like like rick remember right where i think like rick does a phenomenal job of just putting out amazing work and it all feels like his work but it doesn't feel like exploited it's not like he does one certain thing and does it well and, yeah. and really i'm just trying to push towards someone who does good genre fiction that you know will hopefully be interesting and character driven and more often than not have a really interesting visual style and that's very hard to turn into like a marketing sound bit. And it's a lot easier to be like, Oh, that's the guy who does jazz comics or, Oh, that's the guy who does like, uh, like uh postmodern, whatever. But like, really that's what I'm hoping to build with my brand. And in, in saying that sounds so like corporate and gross, but that's why I say it's not necessarily an agenda as much as like just hoping people understand, like I care a lot about my work. Like my stuff is always kind of, grown from an organic place rather than just like a exploiting a genre of the week or, or trying to do uh, what's cool right now. And uh, I, I'm very thankful to see crime kind of coming back around just in time for, uh, for violent love. And uh, my uh, friends at Britain and Adam Gorham 
along with Michael Garland, did a book called The Violent last year, which Ed will constantly mm-hmm. make fun of me for doing a book called Violent Love, which was phenomenal and, like, exceptional crime comics and, like, was kind of overlooked in the moment. And, and that's horrifying. That's a bummer. That was a phenomenal book, and I feel like it did not sell a fraction of what it should have because it was just kind of, like, not in the zeitgeist or up against too many other things taking the spotlight. And that's, that happens all too frequently. And, and I don't think that's anyone's fault. As I said, again, if you look at something like a Nighthawk as well, but you just have to be cognizant of that and, and kind of, it can be the most breaking and annoying thing, but you always have to kind of jump back on and make sure it goes. But uh, that's why it's so hard to, I mean, it, it's like Hollywood, right? Like you're either going to be, a sad like pretender like riding a trend and coming too late or you have to kind of hopefully predict what people are going to be be getting back into and and I think thankfully uh I am glad to see kind of crime getting a little bit of a resurgence but I I really hope with Violet Love like I think what we're doing is very unique uh even if on the surface it may not seem like it's reinventing the genre but I think it's a very personal take on it and I think just like aesthetically like it would be a real disservice if we were just doing a book that looked like shitty, like, like poor man, Sean Phillips, like Sean Phillips still makes comics and they're phenomenal. Why would you want to put something out in his genre that looks like it? You know, it's, it's a very, very hard, hard space to kind of fake things in. And then there's also, as I said, the other side where just because you, your work is great doesn't mean it will connect. So, uh, I think it is, I'm veering off this topic so hard, but that's why I say I really try to put the onus on myself and see what I can do to actually connect the book with, I think, people who will want to like it or people who may not know they're going to like it. Because I feel like uh, I'm hoping our book will appeal across gender a bit more. And, and I know our marketing doesn't, at this point, really point to the fact that this is a, a kind of female-driven series, I, I feel like I don't want to necessarily market it as such as well because I don't want to be alienating to anyone. I think this is a, a human story, and if you're a human being, you will enjoy it. But uh, it is just interesting to quickly see what people do and don't pick up on. Like the fact we have a cover with with a man and a woman on it, and it seems to be a couple. Like I've seen some people jump to the conclusion that it is going to be like a male-centric story, which is always a bummer, and I'm hoping to kind of – catches people off guard, I suppose. It gives us something to prove <laughs> a little more. But uh but yeah, we will we will see. Okay, fair enough. Um yeah, yeah well, I mean, <laughs> yeah, sorry. I totally like forgot the question as we went yeah, yeah, as I, I ran like, it. Where were we? Um, no, so like the part of the reason I bring it up, so like the thing that always has driven me nuts and we've talked about it a whole bunch on the show is that there are so many audiences out there already that might enjoy enjoy these things. Like, um, God, I forgot what the, the series is on Cartoon Network, but it's not something I watch. And, um, my co-host Alana watches it. But when we had, um, I think, Brandon Graham and talking uh, Gotham Academy on, she brought up the series and she's like, well, you know, why aren't you guys marketing Gotham Academy to these folks? There's, you know, 100,000 people on Facebook that really enjoy it. And, like, already I'm thinking of, there is, a, you know, a dozen movies I can name off the top of my head that, if folks enjoy that film, they would probably enjoy this comic. You know, Bonnie and Clyde, Natural Born Killers, Taking of Pelham, One, Two, Three, Heat, maybe, um, French Connection, like these, 
the good 70s noir crime films. Um, Dog Day Afternoon would be one. And, like, as a creator, are you thinking of, like, how do I reach to these audiences who are beyond comics that might might dig this? And, and yes, that is the hardest thing in the world. I I feel like we've seen a really nice kind of uptick of more general press about comics, but I feel like it does also tend to cater towards more uh, kind of creators with bigger fan bases. And and I do not say that begrudgingly. It's just the truth of the matter that it's probably a lot easier for Brian K. Vaughn to get coverage than it is Frank Burberry. And and that's just the lay of the land. But uh, that's really where my headspace is when I try to think about a personal approach to marketing here, like, okay, where can we, where can we put this to hopefully get in front of some people who may not be totally aware of, of what's going on in our space. And and I think it is phenomenally interesting though, to track the kind of readership of comics. I think even when five years came out versus this coming out, like it has changed. And I think it's changed mm-hmm. in a very exceptional way in a great way, but almost to the point where like your books need to be a little more, accessible, but not in a bad way. Like I think diversity is a big part of that. I think kind of not writing from a, a soul, like kind of male centric power fantasy point of view is, is really important now that there's a, a much broader readership who rejects that outlook and, and will not want to read a book like that. And it's just so many interesting things to consider. And, and when you want to do a book that reaches a lot of people, it is a constant balancing act because as the artist, it's, it's your vision first. Like you don't want to compromise anything to try to appeal to anyone, but at the same time, you can't get pissed off when if you write like a hard boiled, like male centric, like crime story. And then a, a group of say like very female focused feminist oriented group online, like gives your book a bad review. It's like, we don't like this. You can't be pissed off. Like you have to understand there's a broader kind of landscape out there and and also I think there's a lot of understanding that there's not a one size fit all fiction fits all fiction right now like not everyone is going to universally love your book and and I think like uh we didn't really talk about that and I apologize because I'm <laughs> on and on but like a book like revisionist I don't think is I'm super proud of the revisionist I think it's an awesome project and i again it's been a very fulfilling project for me and it's, it's a very organic book, but I don't think like someone who might enjoy violent love will enjoy that by default. I think it's a, it's a little bit more of a specific book. Like we're obviously channeling a lot of kind of eighties action in it. And and it it does tend to be, I think more of a a male centric book. Like it, it reminds me of stuff from a space. And that's not to say that, that females cannot enjoy it. I hope we have a lot of, a lot of different people reading the book, but I do understand criticisms against it that way. And and I won't be offended as a writer if not everyone loves it because I do understand that it is a specific vision, but I do have to say that I think it it is teachable to me as a creator to understand like, oh, like there are, there is rather a changing readership out there and you have to, from a a sense of understanding it, be aware and, and understand that if you want to create stuff that's going to be widely received, it has to be a little more, more bigger in scope at this point. It can't be just such a, such a single vision, like without 
thinking about other worldviews or kind of what, what the landscape is, if, if I'm making any sense at all. I think it's just a, a oh, very absolutely. interesting yeah. spot when, when you think about just the landscape of comics now versus four years ago and, and what you kind of want to be bringing to the table. Like, uh, and obviously it's always up to the creators what they want to do, but you also can't be surprised if a book that even looks like it would have done well four years ago just won't catch on because it is such a unique kind of time. And, I, and, and that's more to just say that I really hope that uh, – people give this book a shot because I, I really am trying to approach it from a uh, very kind of like organic character driven place rather than trying to say this book is for X. And, and that's almost the part of me that's afraid to even label it as like a crime book, which I mean, it most obviously is, but I don't want to carry that baggage necessarily of like, Oh, well this is going to be this way. It's like, well, no, it's a crime book, but filtered through our lens, which is going to be very different from creator X, Y, or Z. Yeah, makes makes total sense. Oh, and I'm just looking at the time, and holy crap, with time's flown by. Oh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> we were saying before about that. I, I told you I would I would talk too much, and we'd just keep going. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I'm. Um... Yeah, well, this may happen last time that you and I sat down. We started chatting. I think we just went on and on. Um, well, yeah, I, I don't want to keep you too much longer, but for putting for revisionists, it was something I did want to talk. Um, even just to give it a plug, because it's a series that I'm enjoying a lot um, from Aftershock. Thank you so much. Um, I'd say for folks that don't know it, like the only way I can describe it is, you know, take the the mind trippiness of a film like Time Cop and mix it with uh, that that good action genre, like a lot of the '80s, but not in that horrible cheesy way. Like it's it's good. It's <laughs> really entertaining. Well, it's, it's and the again, fun I, of the '80s without the cheese. When in that, I think it speaks a lot to, like, Gary brings so much to that book, as well as Lauren, uh, Lauren Affy, the colorist, Gary Brown, the artist, because it, it's one of those things where you find a book as you work on it, too. Like, initially, I don't think I saw it as being as influenced by, like, 80s action as it was, but once Gary started kind of doing some sketches and, and we started working, I'm like, oh, this actually works really well in that space, and, and that's exciting for me. That's fun. That's the, the joy of finding comics, but... uh also the understanding that like some people might hate 80s action movies and if something even kind of remotely looks like one they're going to be bummed out and you can never control that part of it but uh but it's definitely been an awesome experience aftershock has given us just such an extraordinary opportunity to to work with the team we love like we put this team together independently and they were just like this is awesome to go with it and uh working with martz is excellent mike martz who, who edits the book who is just such a open collaborative editor like I don't feel like there's any kind of compromise in the book so to speak he really just looks at what we're doing and will offer feedback and and how to kind of make it better most of the time or just kind of give us our space to do our work and and I think that shows a lot in the book itself that it's it's another book that I feel like is a very pure vision like I, I can't ever step away from it and say oh well if the publisher would have let us do this it would have been better like it, it's Love it or hate it, that is a very honest book for me. <laughs> so, so it's I, a fun. Like I, I grew up on those films, so I, yeah, I mean, I grew up on the, the movies, and I, I've been enjoying the hell out of it. I mean, the, the third issue's got this Thank, nice, nice twist to it. Thank you, but and I feel like the big thing is like for me, it's become really important to figure out what to say with my work, even though it's not. You don't want to be like 
overly didactic or, or just on the nose, but revisionist is a very kind of, there's a very personal kind of thematic element to revisionist that I'm not going to sit around and talk about, but uh, I think people will see the full scope of it at the end of the series. And, and that's what, one thing that's so frustrating about releasing stuff in, a, in issue form and, and having people kind of digest it and talk about it one piece at a time. I mean, I personally love that. Like, I'm not a fan of the binge watch culture we're in. I mean, I know it's cool to get everything at once, but I like to take things slowly and kind of talk about them and and work through them before we get to the next part. But it can be frustrating when you know you're setting something up to, to go a certain way and people kind of start taking it at face value. Like, I always want to be like, oh, guys, pump the brakes. Like, wait till you read the end of the arc, and then you can tell me if you hate it or if you, if you loved it. You know, it's uh, definitely a very divisive uh, way to dole out story. Well. I've been enjoying it, so I, I can't wait. Like uh, for folks who haven't been Thanks checking much, it out, yeah. go track it down. It's uh, there's only three issues out, so you you know you don't have to. Yeah, issue three was, was last week. Last I think. week, I think. And I, again, that's yeah. another book where I'm so far ahead that I'm just like, oh gosh, only three are out. That's I'm, I'm glad I didn't say anything. <laughs> How many issues is it? Uh, right now we have six. I, I don't know, like, I would love to keep going, but I think we're kind of in that spot where we need to really see just, like, like everything to the point, like, if, if we really have enough of a uh, of a good sales contingent to keep it going or possibly just take some time and, and do a, a second volume later on. It's, it's still a little up in the air, but uh, six is a nice kind of organic end to the arc, so I hope we do more, but if that is the end for now, you will be fulfilled, and I feel like we'll be able to say what we want to say with it. So, okay, fair enough. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. Like it, it's fun. Like there was, it was kind of going in this one direction. I think the the fun with time travel is you can really do some crazy stuff with it, and it still works. Is the I mean, that's part of the entertainment of it. Um, yeah, and, and we're definitely going to see a little more of the, the crazy time, like exactly the ramifications of of what is going on uh, in the next few issues. I mean, it was it was cool to get that, like the, the sequence where we kind of, where Martin's father explains what he's doing and why things have gone awry. Uh, that I know, withholding that to issue three, I hope built mystery wasn't just people being like, what the hell is this? But uh there's still a lot more to be unraveled. And uh, I've become a really big fan, especially with that book of like giving the issues kind of like a nice little framing sequence, like how three kind of had like Martin with various flashbacks. Uh, Four, we get to see kind of what his, he was like before he went to jail. So we get some context of like what his backstory is. And five is, is my favorite. We see the father's story and we kind of learned like, what exactly happened to him, him see him like kind of invent time travel and, and get those blanks filled in. So uh, I think there is a lot of, uh, a lot of cool stuff that if you're a fan of the book, it, it gets better in a way because <laughs> we, I'm not mm-hmm. a fan of leaving things unanswered. So, uh, but I, I think withholding them to the later issues, hopefully will, uh, will be exciting. I'm I'm seriously I'm looking really looking forward to it. I mean, it's one of those comics that I'm just having fun with. Like I'm I'm a huge fan of those kind of like cheesy uh, action stories and, and you know time travel 
sign me up. But it's usually something that's right up my alley. Is the best way of putting it. I don't think I've ever. Oh, been well, thank you so much. And again, thank you for reviewing reviewing it when it came out. Uh, it was very appreciated. I've been kind of like annoyed as no one has really, well, no one has reviewed issues two or three, and I always make sure to get them out to reviewers and. Yeah, if anyone's three, listening to the I, comics reviewer, like you, you can do it, guys. I, I'd love to hear what you think. <laughs> yeah, with three, I owe you. I, I'll be honest. With three, I didn't read it till uh, Sunday, so it's, it's a little bit late, and I, I'm definitely late on it. Um, but I, no, I liked it. It was, so it was not a dig on, not a dig on you, Brett. You, you did no, your no, part no. already. <laughs> <laughs> well, I feel bad. We actually have a lot of discussions with that on the with the other folks on the site, like. Well, you know, we're good on reading, you know, reviewing issue one, and then we kind of drop off uh, for a lot of it, and it's just because there's so much that comes out, and there's only so much you can cover. Yeah, I, um, I think Cy uh, Spurrier had some really good thoughts on that with, with Cry Havoc, where he was talking about just like, oh, yep. it's so hard to maintain. And and I feel like even on Five Ghosts, we saw that towards the end, and as we you do longer and longer run, it's like people kind of just like like your book. And you can't necessarily yeah. rely on on reviews to be just a, a driver. So it, I think that also brings it back to the onus on the creator again of figuring out how to how to keep press engaged, how to keep people engaged. So, yeah. so I mean, don't times me, you just don't let, have don't any... let me push that off. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's also times where you just don't have anything to say about the comics. Like, hey, it's entertaining. I can't write, well, yeah, yeah, you know, five hundred five hundred words on this. Yeah. But, really. <laughs> You're not gonna write a, a six page thing piece <laughs> on uh, where <Yeah>. we're at. <laughs> uh, oh, so I've yeah, so uh, quite a long time. Um, oh, no problem, please. So appreciated. I, I feel like uh, I'm glad to kind of start talking about violent love. As I said, it's it's a weird spot to be in as as we haven't really released even a proper. Uh, kind of look at the book yet we've we've released the trailer and then just like the solicit and uh i was i will say that the book starts with kind of a very kind of slow-paced framing sequence yeah the, uh, the first issue is is double size so we have space to do that which is why i really want to get the uh get the trailer out there first because if we ran like three pages from the first page it's literally like a car like pulling up so <laughs> it's very pretty <laughs> but i would rather get some information out there first uh I'm hoping in the next few weeks we'll we'll start getting putting some of the uh, interior art out and everyone can just see like what a crazy job Victor is doing. It's one of the best looking things I've ever worked on, so I'm very excited. Yeah, I, I can't wait. I know, I know you teased up about it on, on Facebook and then you dropped Victor's name on it. I was like, holy shit, what are they doing? Let me know. I've like got to do this. And the fact that it's a crime noir, well, which is like right up my alley, super excited. Um, I'll, 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 I'll I will definitely get you. I will get you in advance as soon as I humanly can. So. <laughs> get a nice, really early review. Uh, so folks <laughs> who, are, who are listening, uh, and if you've gotten to this part in the show, thank you so much. Um, what, you know, for, for folks who are listening that are interested, that want to uh, get the book, obviously it's not out until November, what can they do to help you and uh, so, uh, get the book in their hand? The book will be out November 9th, but uh, certainly the best thing you can do for both this book and any comic you're interested in is find uh, your local retailer and walk in and tell them you want it. They'll be able to pre-order it for you. That will help us in ways I can't even begin to explain <laughs> right now, but uh, we'll probably make an order form sometime within the next two weeks that I'll probably have on my Twitter and my website that even if you are going into your shop and don't feel comfortable just asking for something, you can at least hand them the order form and get them to pre-order it for you. And uh, Again, this is the kind of book where 
image books do have a tendency to kind of move quick. Like, as I said, I'm not a crazy superstar, so we won't be printing millions of these. Uh, so if you definitely want to get a first printing and, and get in there, I would highly recommend you pre-ordering it. And also hope we're fortunate enough to go to a second printing, but if not, sorry for the false lead. <laughs> Regardless, you want to pre-order the book. So so find, find a, uh, a retailer near you, and uh, if they don't carry Image Comics, tell them they should, that they're probably missing out. <laughs> Very true. Did digital help as well? I've always, I've always yes, never yes, asked I, that. I feel like I should ask that. No, no, uh, and if, if there's no shots by you or you just prefer reading your books digital, I, I don't know when the uh, I don't know when the pre-order will go live on Comixology sooner than later because the, the solicit is out. Uh, you can pre-order books on there as well, and it will kind of uh, download right to your account when they come out. So, yep. again, it's for digital readers, please. Uh, we're more than happy to have you as well. Uh, and we will definitely, I, I mean, Please don't trade weight on our book, but if you must, I, I am happy to say that we will be doing a 999 volume one as well to really just help bring on readers when we come to our second arc. And uh, as it stands, we, we have a nice long run planned out for you guys. So uh, we're really hoping to push that first volume, uh, like, like so many of the image books, to really help get a readership who wants to come month to month. And, and still in the process of figuring out some cool stuff to do in our issues, like we'll probably have some backup comics uh, in them and, and just any kind of extra material that will really just hopefully incentivize people to pick up the physical copies when they're out. I'm just going to go awesome art from, from Victor. I, I will never say no to that. Um, uh, well, thank you. I, and I, I hope people <laughs> discover Victor through this book, please. He has such an awesome catalog of work and I'm, I'm so honored to be working with him and, it's honestly the best part of, of working in comics as a writer is getting the art. And if you have not checked out his series polar, uh, Oh yeah. Go get one right now so or, or Google it and look at it online because it's phenomenal. Yeah. I was just, as we were saying, we were like, he hasn't broken out yet. I'm just like, shit, I really need to buy original work of his because he's going you to bust out both, at some point. <laughs> yeah. I was just thinking, I, I really I, I'd to love to try to make, I love to try to make an effort to own something from like every book I work on. And uh, there's already like, like so many pages from Bible. I'm like, Oh damn, that's the one. Or, Oh no, that's the one. But, uh, but he just has a, with the covers too. I wish I could show, I mean, we have covers done through issue five and everyone is just so, so cool. And, and our designer, Dylan Todd, I need to give some love to as well as he came up with the, the excellent logo and, uh, kind of the treatment for our book where we had this kind of the uh, the kind of colored banner. And uh, if you see the covered issue one, it's red and, and the word love is in red and the background is red, but uh, we changed that color every issue. So issue two is green and issue three is orange. Issue four is blue. And I think issue five is pink, which looks really cool. I can't remember off the top of my head and I'm trying to find it now, but, uh, but yes, hopefully we'll be an eye catching book on the shelf. Cool. And Victor is, I'm really is an to awesome it. designer. So, but Brad, thank yes. you so much. I'm sorry to talk your ear off now. <laughs> no, 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 it's been great. I'm, at, at this point, I'm thinking, I'm like, are, yeah, at this point, I'm thinking we need to have you back when it actually is out and we can discuss the actual issue. <laughs> well, oh, I yes, talked please. to you before like doing I... interviews with people when you haven't read the book. I haven't read the book, so we'll have to have you back on that one. Wow. Thank you so much, Anna. I'm, I'm very excited to get it in people's hands, but it's it's so daunting to think that's still 
so far away, but uh, hopefully this will convince some people to pre-order, if not. So. All right. But, well, um, much appreciated. And and thanks. Yeah, thank thanks, you so much for having for me. me. Yep, welcome very much. Thank you for uh, for coming on. We'll have have you back at some point. Open open invitation. Uh, thank you so much. Talk to you later. Take it easy, Brett. Thank you so much. Yep, you too. Yep. Bye. All right, so that was Frank Barbieri. We uh, we were talking Violent Love, his new series from Image Comics, and uh, artist Victor Santos. It's out in November. I can't stress it enough. Uh, go and pre-order it. It's going to be awesome. Uh, Frank is an amazing writer, super entertaining. There hasn't been anything that he has he's put out yet that I haven't enjoyed. Uh, and then Santos's art is unbelievable. Just check out Polar. Your jaw is going to drop and say, holy shit, I need to, to go check out what he's doing. The Him on a crime noir comic is going to be so awesome. Um, Polar is kind of a spy thing, so you can get a vibe of what he's going to be doing for Violent Love. It's just going to be it's going to be sweet. Uh, Santos is one of my, my favorite artists. Um, as always, thank you for, for listening. I, you know, I can't stress it enough. Go and pre-order this book. Uh, there's been a lot of discussion, uh, a whole bunch of discussions this past week in the comic industry. Uh, people have been talking about uh, how fans need to go and pre-order. Can't stress that enough. If you like a comic, you're interested in a comic, pre-order it. Publishers will get a better idea of the interest. Stores will get a better idea of the interest in comics that you actually enjoy will have a better uh, chance of sticking around for a while. Um, the next big topic that's been going around for the week is the death of comics journalism. Uh, I actually throw that completely out the wind uh, and out the window and don't accept that. There's fantastic comic journalism going on. I feel like we are an example of that. You can check us every single day at uh, graphicpolicy.com. Uh, and if you really enjoyed this episode and want to share it with folks, listen to it again. He came in late. Um, you know, whatever. It will be up on iTunes and Stitcher in a few hours. Go rate the show, show support uh, there, share it with your friends, post it up. Uh, it will be on SoundCloud tomorrow and then posted on our site. As I said, it's graphicpolicy.com. Uh, if you are new, you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, all at Graphic Policy, keeping it nice and consistent. Uh, I want to end the show in honor of Gene Wilder, who passed away today and said in Willy Wonka, We are the music makers. And we are the dreamers of dreams. Good night, everyone.